take a seat. Um, can I encourage you to um, open your Bibles back at Mark 8, please? And um, just, you've got to scrutinize what I'm going to say. You've never heard me speak before. And it's really, we want to get into the Word of God and um, uh, hear what he has to say uh, to us. Um, if you're a student, then over the next year, you'll receive a copy of this, which is Mark's Gospel in a much more readable and uh, attractive format. And uh, a lot of uh, students uh, in the Christian unions around Ireland will be uh, engaging with the campus and with their friends uh, through offering this uh, Mark's Gospel out uh, in, the, in thousands, hopefully, uh, around the campuses of Ireland and whole of special events. So um, your partnership with us is just so important. And we, uh, it's, fact, it's funny, actually, I know Christoph since he was a teenager, I think. How about that? Uh, I was a little bit older than him, I think, just about. I was a staff worker when I first met Christoph. Um, but our fellowship around this island of Ireland is, is important, isn't it? Because uh, you are part of trying to bring the gospel where you can um, to people who do not know about Jesus, as we've been singing. And um, we're doing it on your behalf in the universities. So uh, thank you so much for helping and enabling and equipping us uh, financially and indeed through encouragement and through your prayers and through many other ways uh, in our in our ministry uh, on this island. I hope you do see what we're doing as strategic and important. IFES Ireland is only one of 150 um, uh, national movements around the world involved um, in bringing the gospel through Christian unions, through thousands of staff and volunteers and supporters. Um, national boards and all sorts of people to try and um, bring the, the gospel to campuses around the world. So uh, we're very excited by this gospel project, by uh, the opportunities that we have here uh, with thousands of students in Ireland. Lend us your students, encourage them to be part of Christian unions around Ireland. It's vital. And students, are there any here yet? Will you join us and, and, and be part of and take advantage of what is there. Let me pray as we come to Mark, Mark chapter 8. Father, thank you that your word is the truth. Thank you that as we read your word, we realize there is a place where there is no more pain. We realize there is a place where there is no more injustice, where there is real life forever, where we will see you face to face. That is our reality today. And we pray, Lord, draw us in to uh, that rich fellowship and that rich relationship with you uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our friend read this passage, Mark 8, and these words, Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way asked them, who do people say that I am? A big question, and lots of questions flying around. Only this week on the BBC, uh, I read the Archbishop of Canterbury asking this question, does God have a role in the world today? He was speaking about environmental damage and uh, disasters that faced us, and we were asked for our reaction. Students are asking lots of questions and are facing lots of opportunities to explore a whole range of things in their lives, questions about their purpose. Will they get a job? Where is the funding for their college really going to come from? And where's the next party? Uh, oh, and the library as well. Where's that? You know. But university is a strategic time, as I have outlined. Uh, it is where questions of faith, of God, of career, 
of family choices are so often made. My wife, Debbie, she became a Christian at Trinity College Dublin when she was uh, in the Christian Union. I first heard the call to full-time service uh, through the Christian Union uh, in my university days as I read the Bible from cover to cover and wrestled with its truth. I think the best question I've heard this term was asked of me yesterday by a bunch of students in Dublin. And they asked this question, Adam, what is the gospel and why is it so important to the Christian Union? What, what do you mean when you talk about the gospel transforming lives? It's a great question. We spend ages going through what that really meant and working it through. That's what we do as a Christian Union movement. Because I believe a strong Christian Union movement, a strong network of Christian unions involved in every university in the north and in the south of Ireland is vital for us as a church in Ireland if we're going to reach our nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is vital that if we win hearts and minds in the universities and equip leaders from there to uh, equip our church, then we will have uh, a significant part to play in reaching Ireland. We all ask questions, but the gospel appears to give answers to questions that many people just seem not to be asking. People aren't asking about sin. They're not asking about eternity and about uh, their life beyond their death. So surely the challenge for us and for the Christian unions is to help people to ask the right questions. For finding the right questions is as important as finding the right answers. How awful is it for students to misread the exam question, to be halfway through the exam and realise, oh dear, I have, I've done it. I'm answering the completely the wrong question. In the real world, that is fatal. Can you imagine one of your surgeons, a doctor, treating a patient for a broken ankle when in fact the patient is in the middle of a heart attack? Well, that's fatal, asking the wrong questions at that point. <coughs> the questions are flowing in this passage, and there's plenty of confusing answers flying around the place. The disciples have been with Jesus, They'd seen really amazing miracles. They'd heard amazing teaching. And yet they were still confused at this point. Open there, chapter 8, verse 17, as an example. Aware of discussions, Jesus says, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? At the end, verse 21 of that section. Do you not understand? They've missed the point. They don't know who Jesus is. And as Christoph said, the, this is the hinge passage in Mark. It's the high point of the gospel. It's a tipping point. Now the real questions are going to be dealt with by Mark, and the rest of the book will really start to answer those questions. You see, when it comes to spiritual questions, there's really only three worth asking. There's only three worth asking when it comes to our students in this um, island of ours. They're three unavoidable and yet potentially life-transforming questions. Who is Jesus? Why did he die? And what are you going to do about it? They're the nub of the questions that are contained in the gospel. You see, in the university world, there's loads of good questions. There's loads of really good things that students are involved with and can promote and be involved with. But these are the fundamental questions that we need to put to ourselves and that we need to be encouraging Christians, to, uh, students to be uh, asking 
of their friends as well, if we're going to see any transformation in a person's life, or indeed in this island of Ireland. You see, these questions are unavoidable, but they're potentially life-transforming. Why are they unavoidable? Look at the end of the passage that uh, was read. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 is... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm looking for it here. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Clearly, eternity is a reality for Jesus, who plans to return in glory and in judgment. Eternal life and, and death is a reality. And every student you see walking the streets of Belfast will one day see Jesus, either as a saviour and friend or as a judge. So there's no avoiding this issue. We can't get away from it ourselves. These questions, potentially life-transforming? Why follow Jesus? Well, not because Jesus is going to bring political and social change now, but because following Jesus will bring personal and sacrificial change to our lives and will transform us now and on into eternity. I believe every student needs to hear and answer these fundamental, unavoidable, and yet life-transforming questions about Jesus, who he is, why did he die, and what are we going to do about it? You see, in this passage, they're asking this question, who is Jesus? The man on the street had a load of ideas. There were tons of, of popular views and, and confused views about Jesus. Look at uh, the end of verse 27. Who do people say I am, said Jesus? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others say, well, you're one of the prophets. Look back at chapter 6 and verse 14. There's a really crazy mixed up guy, Herod. Some say John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. He was the guy that put John the Baptist to death. And yet, there are lots of theories, lots of partial pictures of Jesus flying around uh, in, this, in this passage. It's very similar to today. There's a ton of partial pictures of Jesus, a partial portrait of Jesus flying around the place. Some see Jesus as a social, peace-loving revolutionist. Others have this invisible, plastic view of Jesus. We love his, his values. We love to quote his words, do unto others as you would have them do to you. But actually, nobody has any idea where these words came from. It's a kind of plastic view of Jesus, invisible. Or we have a domesticated, politically correct view of Jesus, where we hear about his love and his social care for the world. We see him as some sort of a king, but somehow a benign and a weak king. Not a king who is coming to judge this world and to condemn and punish those that are in rebellion to him. Students, likewise, are asking a ton of questions and hearing so many partial answers especially from some of the reading that they're having. But Jesus asks this question of Peter. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And in an amazing light switch on time, I think, or maybe just Peter's bursting to say it, he says this, you're the Christ. Peter recognized that Jesus was the anointed one, the, the, the chosen 
one of God. Literally, God's anointed king. But what kind of king was Jesus to be? Some social and political transformer or a soul savior? You see, up to this point, the disciples have seen somebody absolutely amazing. Someone who has brushed sickness aside, like sweeping dust off a piano. They've seen Satan cowering at Jesus' feet and submitting and begging for mercy. They see someone who commands the forces of nature and the wind and the waves grow silent. Someone whose teaching has bamboozled the religious people and yet has spoken with all authority and wisdom to everyone. Someone who breaks bread and fish and creates a feast for thousands of people. Someone who has spoken to a dead body and it has risen up and has walked out of a tomb. And there's been life again. Amazing. Do you imagine that happening in Belfast today? What kind of king? Not some local provincial lord. But Jesus is lord of the universe. What about you? It's a question that, that all of us must answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Some of you might be saying, ah, oh, listen, this is not the Jesus that we want. Oh, this Ify's Ireland guy is a bit old-fashioned. Get real. We need to ground Jesus in today's global world with so much need and uh, a desire and a thirst for, for justice. And We need his social values. We need his social concerns. Not talk of eternity or miracles or judgment of a powerful God. No. What we need is change, new ideas. We need people to get behind a cause. It's power that really counts. President Obama, well, he's in power. He will make a difference. Yes, he can. Well, maybe he won't. If that's what you're thinking, well, you're not alone. Because that's exactly what Peter was thinking here. Which is why you have not only this question, who is Jesus, but another question, why did he die? Because you see, their view of King Jesus, well, it came with thoughts of position, of, of power, of influence. Jesus was going to bring action and change. But look at what Jesus said, verse 32, 31 and 32. He began to teach them. There's a big shift in Mark. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise from the dead. And he spoke plainly about it. See, they weren't expecting this at all. No way, Jesus. Peter's shocked. Instead of glory and influence and action and change and power, Jesus spoke about suffering. He spoke about rejection and, and marginalization and, and, and death. In fact, Peter is so shocked, he takes Jesus aside and, and tells him off. Can you imagine if, well, imagine this, that the university professor comes in, week one, and all these new freshers from Queens with all of their big ideas, go and tell the professor you're teaching the wrong course, it's the wrong stuff, change it please, this is nonsense. Can you imagine that? Well, that's what Peter, in a, in a sense, was doing with Jesus. The reaction of Jesus is swift and commanding. Look at verse 33. It's, 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 it's horrible. 
Jesus turned and looked at his disciples away from Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Do you see what's happening here? You get this wrong, this question wrong, and you become an agent of Satan. That's what Jesus is saying. The cross of Jesus will mean defeat for Satan, who does anything and will do anything and use anybody to stop Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'd be any different if I was in Peter's shoes. If I had been offered high hopes of power and of influence, but was offered suffering and rejection and death, I'd probably react in the same way. No thanks, I want my comfort, I want to be accepted, I want job security, I want to make a difference now in this life, I want to make a change. And many students come with that passion and that zeal, because that's what they're looking for today. So why did God's King, the Lord Jesus, have to walk the path of suffering, rejection and death? Why did he have to do it? Well, part of the answer is, is in verse 31. Jesus taught them that he must suffer and die. And the cross was no accident. It was God's plan. And, and Mark is trying to show us this. Look at chapter 10 and verse 45. And you'll see an even, an even greater explanation of why Jesus had to die. At the end of verse 45, he died to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in the previous verses, even in verse 37 of Mark chapter 10, the disciples are still thinking about power, about change, about influence. But Jesus is thinking about service and death, his own death on the cross. And for what purpose? To die as a ransom for many. Now, we all know what a ransom is, don't you? You could lock me up in a room and, you know, demand me, give you back your check for a thousand pounds and then we let you out. That's, that's a pathetic example of a ransom. But here, we have a huge ransom being paid for freedom. In today's world, freedom is its greatest value. And so you could argue with me, well, everybody is free. and We all have rights. We all have the freedom to express our own opinions. We're free to choose our own destiny in life. I'm, fr I'm a free person. Many students say that. They say, my life is my own. No one else says, I can choose to be and to, to do what I want. It's my time now. This is it. But Jesus says, no, you're not free. You, we, I, we're imprisoned in our world of self-interest, where we defiantly hold out against God, refusing to give up our desire for independence and choice. You say, and I say, that my life is mine, not yours. But in fact, we're the ones being held captive, being held captive by our own selfishness and our own choices. You see, God knows every thought and every selfish motive that we weave together and that you're even thinking and I'm even thinking right now. And our selfishness is utterly offensive to God. Don't take my word for it. Look at... Um, back in chapter 7 of Mark and you'll see the words of Jesus it's a, it's a really perceptive list Jesus in verse 20 says this you know what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean it's not the external stuff at all it's actually in here for within us 
Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. You see, without God's direct intervention inside us, we remain unclean and unacceptable to God. And we remain captive, captive and held uh, away from God. The only way that God can change our hearts is through the death of Jesus, the ransom. And oh, what a ransom he has paid. And only faith in Jesus Christ alone can free us from the eternal captivity and unite us in a real relationship with God. Only then can God's purifying spirit cleanse us and clean us and transform us and change us. Peter was blind. He couldn't see. And in Mark's gospel, don't don't turn to it, but in chapter 8 and verse 22, and in chapter 10 and verse 46, you see two different stories of blind people being touched and healed. Why is it there? Because Peter and the disciples were blind. They were unable to see. And they needed the touch of Jesus to understand just why he had come, who he was, and why he had come to die. Verse 33 of chapter 8. Peter had in his mind the things of men and not of God. And I want to ask you the question that I ask everybody when I have a chance to speak on the campuses around Ireland. And it's this, what about you? We too can be so blind. We can, I expect many of us, most of us maybe are Christians here today, but can we be tired of the gospel? Maybe we are tempted to to change it. As a, a southern Irish person, I say this reverently and carefully. But as I travel around the island of Ireland, including the north of Ireland, sometimes I, I pick up a tendency that, that people are fed up with the gospel or that people are tempted to change it. And so often I, I'm challenged by this myself. It's possibly the challenge for us to change our methods and maybe change the location about where we're speaking for Jesus, but not actually change the message itself. Such a temptation for me to go onto a hostile campus with this really unpopular and challenging word from about Jesus and want to change it. Students, thousands of students, are blind and they cannot see. And they need Jesus, just like Christoph prayed earlier. They need that touch to bring them back to the Lord of the universe, to be unblinded, to see who Jesus really is and why he came to this world. Students in their thousands are lost. And IFES Ireland, in cooperation and partnership with you, is a mission to students, to see students transformed eternally and to see their lives start to flourish and grow and to be transformed here by Jesus. Hence these three unavoidable, uh, yet potentially life transforming questions. Who is Jesus? You see, the disciples can see that Jesus is the Messiah. But why did Jesus die? Well, they had a partial view, a partial picture. They only half saw and they needed to be unblinded by Jesus to understand just why 
they, um, he had come to die. And they would need another touch to understand this last question, well, what are you going to do about it? You see, look at these verses of Jesus, Mark 8 and verse 34. See, this is what Jesus thinks that we should be doing about it. This is what he teaches. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Jesus. These are familiar words, aren't they? They, they sometimes belong to the plastic version of Jesus. You know, life is tough. Must bear our cross, you know, it's the old arthritis again. I've been dealt a tough blow. But bearing crosses in Bible times was not like that at all. Bearing crosses in Bible times meant certain humiliation and a shameful death. You see, there's another shock to the disciples. There's a real, total, and absolute cost to following Jesus. It's a radical self-denial. It's not about willing volunteers who are attracted by the love and the care and the power of Jesus. No, there's more to following Jesus. There's a greater cost that leads to a transformation of our lives now and eternity and into eternity. Many in our Christian unions around Ireland go along with a partial picture of Jesus. You see, cross-bearing is not just about sharing a burden or shouldering a burden. It's about giving our whole lives to Jesus. And that's what excites me about IFES Ireland. It's to bring this radical challenge to a bunch of students over two or three years as they're in university. But we do it in partnership with you. Because this is the message of surely this church. That following Jesus is about radically changing our lives and denying ourselves, and changing our priorities and our values for the sake of Jesus and this massive, amazing, eternal gospel of transformation. Jesus expresses it far better than I can. Look at verses 35 and 36. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Look at verse 35 more closely. It's one or it's, it's the other. It's not a, a half-hearted, watered-down, plastic version of Jesus or some reinvented or reinterpreted aspect of Jesus and its gospel. It's total. It's about radical transformation of Jesus and for the gospel and for the message of the cross. And as I said at the start, if you look at verse 38, eternity is the context that Jesus is talking about. I have a final question for all of us, and with this I want to finish. How would I know that I'm following Jesus in a way that Jesus requires? Or think about it in this way. Is there sacrifice for Jesus and a commitment to his teaching in your lives? I say this to you as a church, but I say it to us as a student fellowship as well. What about considering your money? In this era of cutbacks, what will you cut back first? The money you spend on yourself or the money for this church or for gospel agencies like IFES Ireland? 
or for those agencies involved with social concern. Young couples, students, there are a few of you out there. You know, now is the time to learn to give sacrificially when you don't have enough, an awful lot of money. Because now is the time that the patterns of giving and of expressing that love to God comes into our lives. What about you and your time? How much of your time is given to, to reading the Word of God and, and studying the Word of God in your week? Or what about the time that you spend preparing for your home groups or for Sunday clubs? Compare that with the time that you have, well, when you're watching the telly or, you know, you're, you're doing stuff for, for our leisure. What about the time that you are giving to investing in risky friendships with non-Christian students that will take you out of this location and into other places? There'll be a cost for you in terms of your time and in terms of the knockbacks that you receive and I receive if we're really investing in friendships with people who do not yet know Jesus. Are you prepared, are we prepared to sacrifice our careers and our pensions because God is calling us to serve him in another way? Maybe it's to go into theological college or it's to support someone else who wants to go to theological training. Or how about this, and then you'll run me out of the church for saying this. How about working a four-day week and volunteering and, and working one day a week for nothing, for this church or for another agency in this city? Taking a real step back financially. Just an idea. It came up to me as I drove. It's your fault. You made me drive in the car coming up, okay? So that's what two hours does for you. You come up with all sorts of ideas. But it's radical discipleship. And it's a radical change. Who is Jesus? Why did he die? And what are you going to do about it? You see, decisions and choices to radically follow Jesus start here, in this church, this morning. They start in the Christian unions all around Ireland as people like myself and the staff and the CU leaders bring this radical message of the gospel of Jesus to the campus. So when I say IFES Ireland is here to see students transformed by encountering Jesus, transforming their campus, society and the world, that's a massive, radical message. It's a beautiful message. It's a life-giving message. For Ireland it's a strategic message. To see students changed by Jesus eternally, forever. To see students radically changed now and the church equipped and strengthened so that the next generation will hear the gospel, so that your children will hear the gospel, so that Ireland will be one for Jesus Christ.